Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What is going on, people? You know that sound. It is the Unfiltered Band. Means, yes, another episode of Unfiltered coming your way. Right here, right now, this will officially go down as episode number 247 of the podcast. You can jump on board 24-7, 365, and get on the Unfiltered Revolution. It is easy. Get over to the artist formerly known as Twitter, X if you will, at Casey Stern, follow, then jump up into the bio and follow into the YouTube channel, like, subscribe, click those thumbs up, tell your friends and get all the content, 246 into 247, now episodes deep from interviews, conversations, lists, rants, and more. Thank you as always to the Unfiltered Band. Got a bunch to get to today on a Friday and happy Friday to all of you and happy Groundhog Day. On the back end of the show, I will get into Groundhog Day and I want to know from you. So get me on X, Twitter, or reach out, Apple, Spotify, everywhere. Get your podcast in the comments if you're listening or on YouTube if you're watching there. I'm curious, what day as a fan in your lifetime would you want to relive over and over and over again? I'm going to give you a couple of mine on the back end of this. For that, we'll uh, get into a couple of things, including the Orioles going for it, because after all, prospects are cool and parades are cooler, and they're going for the correct one in those two and trying to actually go for it. And after a week that's already seen the ownership change hands and Cal Ripken, of all people, be a part of it, now the Orioles fans get, after last season, to get even more excited not only about the ownership but about what is to come here in 2024 as they have landed an ace, and who knew that Jalen Brunson would be an ace in the hole, but the now all-star for the first time who should have started the game at contend, put 40 up last night as I do this here on a Friday morning, nine straight for the Knicks. Want to get into that as a Knicks fan as well, but we are always happy to be here in large part. Thanks to our good friends at Bet Online. They are your number one source for your sports betting needs. Latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, basketball, boxing, football, golf. They got everything. Bet online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to get all your wagers. They've got live betting and favorite casino and card games. They're all available to play right now from your phone. So get over the website or you can use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on all this action. Remember to use the promo code believe that is B L E A V. Get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online where the game starts as I get started here. And wow, kudos to the Baltimore Orioles. You know, I have complained for years. It's how the prospects are cool, parades are cooler thing even started. It is not about you always trade prospects and you don't think about the future because clearly the Orioles have been thinking about the future for a long time, Mike Elias and company, and that is how they got here. That's how they have the Rushmans and the Hendersons and the Holidays and so on and so forth. But what it is about and has always been about for me and what I meant when I said it seven, eight years ago, is that if you have a chance to win and you have a chance to win at a high level and go from mediocre to having that contender status, from contender to pushing the pedal and actually winning a championship in a sport, you go try and win a championship in that sport. You don't think then about six years down the road. You don't be frivolous with it. It doesn't mean you trade the Mike Trouts of the world, though the Angels should now, but that's different. It means in spots like this, 
where you didn't go for it enough at the deadline last year, no offense to Flaherty, but it wasn't enough. When you had a chance, and that cart was way before where the horse was supposed to be, because nobody thought 2023, even though we knew the Orioles were coming, were going to come that quickly. It means when you have a chance, you then go for it and push the pedal. And you want to talk about it, and I say this all the time, and I usually say it about deadline time period in that four to six weeks. And you've heard me say this if you've been listening to me for the years that I've been doing this the last two decades, all the time I've said this, and about off seasons as well in any sport, that you have to wait until the story is over. You have to wait until the book is closed because you don't know what the narrative is going to be until you see it play out. They have to wait until after all the faxes are sent in, after that deadline passes, to then point at your team and say, what the hell were you doing by not doing anything? Well, how about changing narrative in a short period of time? And have you ever seen it in a way in an offseason? Like for an Orioles fan, their offseason looked before this week began and how it looks now. Before this week began for the Orioles, their offseason was as follows. What are you doing? I get you got a lot of prospects and a lot of young talent. We understand you're going to win and be a good team because of that because we saw it last year. But if you want to beat teams like the Rangers and the Astros and look with the Yankees certainly continuing to re-add and you want to stay at the top of that heap, you have to continue to get better and you have to get pitching. And they hadn't done a damn thing. Nothing. How were the Orioles going to get better? How were they going to find a way to then be a playoff team we believed in that could make a deep run in October because we all knew they weren't going to do it last year and we all knew the reason was going to be not enough starting pitching. Then the week begins with ownership changing hands and Anything after Angelos is going to be good for an Orioles fan. Very similar to how Met fans were feeling when Wilpon changed hands and then went to Steve Cohen. But imagine finding out Keith Hernandez was one of the owners. And even maybe, sorry, at even a higher level, let's be fair, as Cal Ripken part of this group. And then you get your man. Then you get your ace. Then you get a guy just a couple of years removed from a Cy Young in Corbin Burns. This is a coup for the Baltimore Orioles. Now, I don't know what Hall's going to become. I don't know what it's going to look like in terms of where those guys fit in the Brewers, who even after David Stearns, we know they've got enough people in their system that in that hierarchy that they do a really good job as an organization finding and maximizing and building and developing and feel bad for a Brewers fan because who knows if a Willie Adamas is next or who else. But this was a move you had to make, and this is a fantastic trade. This isn't a good trade, not a great trade. It's a fantastic trade. Now, could reality become, you know, beyond perception? What do I mean by that? Well, the perception is right now, when you look on paper, how is this not fantastic? But all of a sudden, Corbin Burns gets hurt? Yeah, those things are possible. Those things can always happen, especially with pitching. But to bring in a motivated Corbin Burns looking to make money and hit that big deal in his future after what he has done the last couple of years, to bring in a guy who now gets a chance to win, to bring in a guy who's a motivated guy and a competitor anyway is going to fit right into everything that team is about. What a heck of a coup and a heck of a job by Michael Elias and that group. I cannot give them enough credit.
for what if you're an Orioles fan watching or listening to this, forget about clicking likes and thumbs up and hearts on Twitter or on you know whatever way you could go and say you like what I'm saying. Go ahead and go get tickets now and get out to that ballpark, which is a beautiful ballpark anyway, by the way, one of my favorite in the league. You go see this team play because you haven't even seen Holiday yet at the big league. I mean, this is a this is a budding. I'm not using dynasty because you got to win one to get there, but this is a budding decade long, consistent contender in the making. And that is better than anything you could say, having a chance to win it at a high level every single year to do what the Cardinals and giants of the national league did for seemingly so long. Right. And had huge runs doing so what the Dodgers and the Braves are in the midst of now, what the Braves are in the midst of a couple of decades ago, what the Phillies went through for a five-year span. To get to do that at, at a high level and be in it to win it, for look at what the, the Astros certainly, first and foremost, should have started there, right? What the Chiefs are now doing in the NFL, again in the Super Bowl. The Orioles may not win several World Series. They'd like to just start by being in and maybe winning one. But this is a team that's got a chance to now consistently be a contender with a chance to win. And this go for it <coughs> mode that they were in, it's not to me even so much about, excuse me, because I'm battling a cold. It's not so much about what Burns is going to do this year as much as it says, yeah, we get where we're at and we are going to put our money into it. Now we got owners with oodles of cash and oodles of motivation to go try and help this team win. And this is the Orioles now that you can expect. These are the Orioles that you can expect moving forward. This is what we're going to be about. It is a heck of a move and a huge day. If you're an Oriole fan, a big week overall, and kudos to you. And I love watching Burns pitch, and it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. And they put the Yankees on notice in that division and the Jays and everybody else and the Rays. They put the Astros and the Rangers on notice that they ain't playing, and they are sitting there trying to go ahead and get to a World Series and represent the American League, and they got a good chance to do that in 2024. Your thoughts, obviously, drop a comment, Twitter or X or YouTube if you're watching there, Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts as well. Let me get to the Knicks. little self-serving because I've been a diehard Knicks fan my whole life. This is the most fun I've had watching the Knicks since Latrell Sprewell and Allen Houston were on the team in that 98-99 season in which they came oh so close. What if Ewing doesn't get hurt? You know, it wasn't necessarily the same Patrick he was a few years before that. What if he doesn't get hurt? Nothing against Camby, who played great. Could they have had a better shot against that Spurs team? Who knows? Shortened season, I get it. Wasn't a full year. You talk about whatever you want. But that was also the last time, I think it was actually a year or two later, but same group, when Houston and Sprewell both made the all-star team. That's the last time the Knicks have had two all-stars on an all-star team. Looking at the photo yesterday, People don't realize about the NBA, and I realized more so even forget watching it when I covered it for years and had votes for things like MVP and saw the way All-Stars put out. We don't talk about enough. This this roster needs to be expanded. It's a whole other conversation because there just aren't enough roster spots. You know, in Major League Baseball, between the guys who can come in, then the ones who can't pitch, the ones who replace them, the ones who are hurt, ones who get there. I always joked there's like 97 players seemingly on each team. I mean, everybody's got was an all-star, was picked an all-star, was voted in by the fans, or then they were, you know, a reserve, or then they were replaced. It, it is all that. The NBA, you don't got many names. 
There aren't many guys on the team. To have Randall and Brunson in there is fantastic. Now, clearly, Julius Randall hurt right now. Also, Ananobi, who's been brilliant, is out. So the Knicks shouldn't win many games like that. No offense to the Villanova trio. When you look at it on paper in Brunson and DiVincenzo and Hart, right? Or Precious, Achua, or you know, Hartenstein, or McBride, or any of the guys they're putting in there. They got a rotation that Tibbs is running of seven, eight guys. And they don't got Ananobi, and they don't got Julius Randle. How are they going to win? Pacers, pretty good team, too. Nine straight. Down 15 early. Fight their way back. Brunson, the catalyst, obviously, of all that, again, puts up 40 points, gets a tying bucket late. I think it was at 91 when they just had kind of come back after being down 15. Ends up getting two huge baskets late. Big tip in by Precious, and all of a sudden, there you go. Nine straight. The Knicks are half a game out of the two seed. The Celtics lost and played terribly and were just embarrassing yesterday. Gets the Lakers. They're only five up on the Knicks, who, by the way, host the Lakers. I think it's on Saturday night. Jalen Brunson and what he has done for this team and, and his impact on this franchise cannot be overstated. Now, look, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance that goes around about buildings and arenas and franchises and things like the Cardinal way and baseball and all of that. Madison Square Garden and basketball, that's peanut butter and jelly or whatever combo works for you. There is a different thing in that building. I've been in that building when it's been like that and in the 90s, and it's hard to describe. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go look up Larry Johnson's four-point play against the Indiana Pacers and play it up full sound and get some of the crowd shots, which are all available on YouTube from people who did it in the crowd that day, and people thought the roof was going to come off that building. You cannot overstate the garden and basketball and that relationship and that love for the Knicks. They fill that building. Yeah, I get you see all the celebrities and all that. They fill that building for the Knicks. No matter how atrocious you think Dolan is, how atrocious you think the franchise is, how atrocious you think it is that that they've been you know so bad that not even free agents have wanted to go there. And I've talked about that for years, and we've dealt with that for years. No one's going to tell you anything bad about playing basketball at the Garden and what that atmosphere is like. Ask any road player. They may say, and a lot of them have told me, their favorite city to, to be in when they're not playing is Chicago. Favorite building to play in on the road? Almost every single one of them says the Garden. Go look it up. And that atmosphere, just different. That building for that, you know, really, look, it's great for Ranger hockey, even though I'm an Islander fan, clearly. But for boxing and combat sports and for basketball, that's just a different thing. Whether it's college or pro. And you go watch the videos. If you didn't see, you're not a basketball fan, go seek out a video of, of some of the, the sound from the game last night. And that Brunson interview after that game, where he's getting emotional and, and clearly trying not to cry with tears in his eyes, had choked up having a hard time speaking because he's so, he's so overwhelmed by first all-star appearance, the crowd chanting MVP, what is happening in that building, what they're building there, what they're doing, all of that. That is the good stuff. That's the stuff. Inject that into your veins in terms of sports. That's the kind of you want to live over and over and over again. Speaking of Groundhog Day, which I'll get to in a second.
I mean, that's everything right there. So, you know, I don't know if this Nick team, look, I don't think they're winning a championship this year. I'm not saying that. They're still weak or whatever it is till the deadline. Maybe they can push the pedal down even further. They certainly have some pieces and picks and things of that nature to do that if they want it. The Randall health situation is a major, major concern. Major concern. Got to get Ananobi healthy. Have to have Randall healthy. Have to. I mean, remember, this is a team without Mitchell Robinson. Who, people forget that aspect. Think about all the injuries they have. Got to get Randall healthy. That is a major concern. So there are ifs. But let's make sure we knock off one thing that is not an if. The Knicks are back. They're back. Does that mean they're back to winning a championship? Well, they haven't done that since, what, 73. But they're back to that time period where you believe that they were a contender, to the time period where the garden was an event, to the time period where there was passion on the team. And a lot of that, a lot of that came from individual players during those years. Like, for example, first and foremost, when it first began, a point guard himself and Mark Jackson. Jalen Brunson is a star. He is a stud. Everybody was killing this deal after he left Dallas and thought, okay, great. Well, you know, Luca was hurt, so he scored 40 a couple of times. What the hell does that mean? Anybody who said, well, he's a nice college player, not going to do it in the NBA, never going to be more than a bench guy who everybody wants on the team because we know his leadership skills have never been questioned. All you people could shove it. Dude's a star. And you go watch games like last night, and I understand it's not game seven. And go tell me you don't think you can put the ball in that guy's hands and have him be the dude to go win. Can he do it by himself? No, he can't. Do I think that they are good enough to go win a seven-game series and with a healthy Randall and go beat a Milwaukee or beat a Boston in a, in a postseason? I don't know. Not if those teams are playing their best. I don't think they can. But they're back and relevant. They're not embarrassing. You know, you look, you know, everything the Orioles are now feeling very similarly, a little bit different, but in terms of, from a fan standpoint, just the embarrassment and the pain and the suffering and all that stuff, just to be in it to win it, nine in a row, half game out of a two seed. Hello, Knicks. I want to know what, when you think of Groundhog Day, other than the movie, when you think of sports and your days as sports fans in your life, what days do you wish you could relive? I'm going to give you a couple because the Knicks certainly had plenty of them for me because I just talked about them. I'm going to give you a couple others that I, I jotted down because I could do three hours on this. I'm not a Yankee fan, but Jim Abbott's no-hitter would be one. Wrote my college essay to get into college on, it was called The First Time I, I Saw My Father Cry, which was after Jim Abbott's no-hitter. Daddy Yankee fan, I am not. But we got tickets at the stadium that day. It was a gorgeous day. Went with a friend in September of 1993. I want to say it was the 4th or maybe it was the ninth, 8th, somewhere around there. Went to the stadium. They're playing the Cleveland Indians. Wanted to see Manny Ramirez play. And that, that event and, and what that is, and people who are younger watching this who don't know Jim Abbott or listening, who don't know Jim Abbott's story, I mean, go, go seek out his story. What he accomplished with everything that was against him to be able to persevere to even play at the big league level is amazing. But I'll never forget. I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't a dry eye because everybody knew what that must have meant for him. Everybody knew how special that was. Ground ball, I think it was Carlos Baerga to, to Mike Gallego, I believe, was the end of the game. 
Wade Boggs, huge play at third in that game defensively. Bernie Williams made a big play in center field. That would be one of them for me. But there are a couple that stand out. And by the way, I'm not even putting in there the fact that uh, 1999, the Grand Slam single, Robin Ventura was on my birthday. But one of the two I'm going to bring up quickly because I think, you know, sharing stories is great. And I, I, I'm a fan first and foremost, always will be. 2000, when the Mets were in the NLCS and playing the Cardinals, in that last game, which was the night before my birthday, but by the time that Benny Agbayani was jumping around where I was sitting way up top in left field and the Mets were celebrating on the field, clock had been turning midnight, and that was my birthday on October 17th that year. That game, we had gotten tickets for, and I was so excited for a chance to see them clinch. And, you know, it was amazing that I would end up covering this team six minutes later and be on the field and was the first person to interview Billy Wagner after the last out that my soon-to-be broadcast partner, Cliff Floyd, caught. So how weird time is that that all happened for me in six years. When they clinched on the Traxel game against the Marlins in 2006 and won 6 nothing. But six years prior to that, I was just a fan sitting in the stands. And that game I'll always remember because I went with two of my friends and we were, we took the train and we were going to meet my father at the ballpark who was driving. At that time, didn't have cell phones or anything like that. May have, may have had beepers, but we didn't have cell phones. No way to text or anything. Father's supposed to meet me. At, I, I can't remember the game started at 7.30 or 8 or when, to be honest with you. But my father's supposed to meet us 30 minutes before the game at a specific gate outside Shea. And he didn't show. And it was 20 minutes and it was 15 minutes and it was 10 minutes. I told my my friends, I was like, you know, I, I was like, just go up, go up top and I'll 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 be there. I mean, I gotta wait. Went to a payphone, called my mother to see if she had heard anything at the house. And my father had called her from somebody's car phone, which they had those at the day. That my father's car had broken down on the Grand Central Parkway. And that he had hitchhiked because he had told somebody as he waved them down, he left his car on the side of the Grand Central, that he had to get to the game because he was going to be there for the, the Mets chance to clinch and that it was going to be his son's birthday. And he ended up hitchhiking. And I remember because we got there like it was after the first inning, I think, by the time I, when I waited for him and I just got sat there waiting, waiting, you got no idea. and. And the rest is history. We were there for, I mean, that building was shaking. And funny enough, when we left the stadium, so now we don't have a ride home. We were going to take the train. And they had those car services out front. And there was a car service that was waiting for a person, and that person did not show. So we went up to the, the driver and said, look, you know, it's, it just turned my birthday and here's where we live. And this is what happened with the car. Can we give, give you some cash since you don't have anybody to pick up? And we ended up taking a, a town car, a car service and on the way home passed by. And there was my father's car on the grand central parkway, which he picked up the next morning. That that's one of that, that the emotions of that day as a fan and just kind of what it meant to me after six years later, you know, seeing it the other way, just one thing that will always stand out for me. I'll give you another quick one. 1993 run by the Islanders. Even if you're not a hockey fan, I will tell you that it is, it is 
famous in hockey lore because the Penguins, who had probably the best team they had in their run, were going for a three-peat and ended up being knocked out in the second round by the Islanders in Game 7. On the first round, the Islanders played in that playoffs. There were three or four, I can't remember, overtime games in a series against the Washington Capitals. It's famously remembered because a game that I was also at, a game six, where Pierre Turgeon had scored a goal, and while he was celebrating, Dale Hunter crushed him and ended up getting, at that time, the largest suspension in NHL history going into the next season. Turgeon was gone. Ray Ferraro and the Ray of Hope and all of that begins, and, and, and that'll never be forgotten. But what's little known is how amazing that Capital Series was because there were, speaking of Ray Ferraro, I think three double or triple overtime games. I, I think there were three. In one of those games, again, going back to, and these are the problems before cell phones, my mother dropped me and three of my friends off at Nassau Coliseum. And, you know, hockey games were easy. Like, they'd start at 7.30, and they'd end at 10. So when you'd get dropped off and picked up, and it would happen often, I mean, it was like 15 years old at the time, and not driving yet, Everybody would kind of pull up out front or they'd tell you like what section of the parking lot they'd be. And, you know, they would have their windows down and they'd wave and you'd find them. And, and there were a lot of people that do that because there's no train for those who don't know right there at Nassau Coliseum. It's not like going to the garden, right? Or going to Shea or city field. Well, this game, unfortunately did not end at 10 because it went into overtime and it was so crazy. And we we're such a crazy mood and everything was going on. And I had a ticket. I was like, I can't really leave the building. I don't know how I'm supposed to tell my mother. I figure, quote unquote, she's just listening to the game in the car radio to see when it's over. Because that's normally what she would do. One overtime goes through. For those people who don't know, don't watch hockey, that's the same length during a postseason as a regular period of hockey. Then the second overtime goes through. It ends up going into the middle of the third overtime. And by the time that this game was over, it was, I think it was game three, maybe it was game four. By the time this game was over, my mother had sat in the parking lot an entire game more than the actual game was. It was one of the greatest things. I remember I was sitting at the top row. You could, you literally, it was, it was obstructed view. You could barely see the ice. The tickets were like student tickets. And we were slamming on the back wall. I mean, it was like, it was like your dream scenario as a 15-year-old to be in a triple overtime game in the playoffs and all of that. But I'll never forget this day because I'll never forget my mother's face. She still, this is 30 years ago, she still will joke every once in a while about how I made her wait for three hours sitting in the parking lot listening to basically an entire Islander game. But they won, and I tried to explain that to her on the ride home. I'm sure you have your own Groundhog Day moments as a fan, as a kid, as an adult with your kids, and those are great too. Want to hear yours, share them with me on Twitter or X or get them to me if you want. Obviously, whether you're applying to the video, you can DM me. Let me know on uh, YouTube if you're in the comments there. Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcast. What moments as a fan would you want to relive over and over and over again? This one is over for now. 248 is coming soon. As always, Unfiltered is presented by our good friends at Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.